Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 61, Connections, Embracing Challenges, and Enjoying the Present with Gail Kebaker. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Hope you're doing okay. I'm not a, a fan of this time of year, simply because it's allergy season. So if my voice seems a little bit odd, it may be related to that. But uh, I hope your summer is going well, went well. We're nearing the end of it now. I guess some would say that once you're into September, it's done. But uh, I do love this time of year. I've mentioned that before. So I'm looking forward to uh, the fall colors and uh, the cooler weather. So since the last podcast, uh, there's been a few things that's happened. But uh, I'll go through them fairly quickly, and then we'll get into this wonderful interview. So I have a newsletter coming out this week, uh, later this week. So if you're not subscribed, you can do that at uh, newsletter.mikehenley.com. And I kind of share my thoughts and my journey, my creative journey in this newsletter. It's not a spammy kind of newsletter. It's more kind of in behind the scenes, uh, talking about uh, things I'm doing, things I'm watching, some of the projects I'm working on and my experiences. So if you want to check that out, it is uh, newsletter.mikehenley.com and it'll be out uh, Friday or Saturday this week. So one of the um, projects I continue to work on is my nature journal. And I just completed uh, a few days ago the dragonflies page, which was kind of fun. That is a total of, I think, six uh, dragonflies, different types, different stages. And I did that in my Etcher hot press uh, sketchbook, so a a much smoother paper than a a cold press or a watercolor paper. And I'm using my uh, Faber-Castell polychromos uh, colored pencils with that. It was... um, It's one of those things that I started and then I come back to it. I've got like, I don't know how many journals. I'm going to say like eight journals that have different themes to them. Some are just graphite and pencil. Some of them are really rough sketching. Uh, This one is devoted more to finished kind of colored pencil works. So um, yeah, I, 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 um, I tend to move around a little bit, but once I get into it, it took me, I don't know, a couple hours maybe to finish the dragonflies. And I don't know what I'm going to do next. I was thinking maybe mushrooms, but I have other ideas as well um, around specific types of animals. I may do, I I like the idea of having more than one object on the page. So I'm uh, playing around with that. I'm really liking this. I may go back to watercolor at some point. I started the book with watercolor, so I may go back to it, but, uh, and try out some of the new brushes that I've been using. So, um, yeah, so keep an eye out for that. I share that, obviously, on uh, Instagram. But I also uh, cross-post that to Twitter as well as my uh, MikeHenley.com page. And so you can check it all out there if you're not on Instagram or choose to follow it elsewhere. So I did get up to uh, a place called the Mackenzie King Estate here in Ottawa, which uh, one of our former prime ministers created. He has a series of ruins and stuff that he put together up there. And I went up and um, did some painting up there. I was up with a local artist who happens to be a fan of the show, so thank you, Christelle, for for joining me for that. And so we uh, worked on one of the ruins there for part of the morning. It was uh, a beautiful day. It was a good chance to chat and get out and do some watercolor. I did some ink. I'll post a link to that picture that I worked on. So I've lived here my whole life, and now I'm looking at these places that I've been to or been near and realizing, wow, these are places for inspiration um, in, in kind of painting and drawing and sketching. And I'm sure there are places near where you live that maybe serve the same purpose. So um, so I wonder if there are places like this where you are that could serve as inspiration for what you're doing or what you're painting. 
and um, you know, just packing that little kit with you and going to these places that maybe you've uh, visited two years ago, 10 years ago, or 30 years ago. And uh, you may look at it differently when you're trying to capture it in a sketchbook or on paper. So there are a few other areas uh, where I live that I'm going to um, pack up my drawing and painting kit and uh, check it out because I think looking at it with artist eyes now, I'm excited about the opportunity to document some of these things that um, that I visited even as, as a kid so many years ago. <laughs> So in the last couple of weeks, I did a course with a local artist by the name of Maya Hum. I'll provide a link to her. Uh, she's a, uh, a teacher here in Ottawa. She does a lot of online courses. And she did one around uh, drawing and sketching and a bit of watercolor as well. So I, um, we were talking about this idea of a nature journal. So she did an excellent course. There was, I don't know how many of us, maybe 25. It was free. Um, she does paid courses as well, and she has a, such a variety of um, of training available. So I think that if you're interested in taking some of her courses, please check her out. Um, these are online courses, and so you could do it probably from anywhere in the world. So I just wanted to, uh, to thank Maya for such a wonderful course and doing something for free and empowering the community around sketching and drawing and painting. So well, well done. So I talked about prompts in the past and using a calendar for that. I just recently did National Hummingbird Day. So I wanted to talk about an initiative started by some uh, Ontario artists. It was created by Liz Butler and uh, Glendon Mello, and they've created something called SciArt September. That's the hashtag. And the intent with this is to share a series of prompts for the month of September. And, you know, obviously with the focus around scientific illustration, you know, um, nature, uh, dinosaurs, um, the environment, whatever the case. So everything around kind of science, but these, um, these prompts are kind of digging deeper into that. So if you're looking for a series of prompts, this is a great opportunity. Uh, you know, examples are things like ancient, mechanical, evolving, tiny uh, you know, it's it just gets the kind of the juices flowing. So if you're struggling for what to draw, this is a great way to explore that. It's one of those things, I think Liz has been great in saying, you know, you don't have to, if you've got something you've done previously, post it, you know, with the, the, the hashtag Sire at September. But if you want to take on kind of drawing or painting or doing something in marker or digital, this is a great opportunity to do that. Don't feel committed that you have to do each day. If you just want to you know, do a few of the prompts for the month. It's a great idea. So I would recommend checking that out. I'll provide links to Liz's Twitter and Glendon's. And once again, you can just search for the hashtag SciArtSeptember on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you uh, if you use that hashtag, both Liz and, and Glendon will most likely retweet your work as well. So I think it's a wonderful initiative and I, I really like that idea. Now, along with the whole idea of prompts, there is Inktober, obviously, coming up for the month of October. So I've done it the three previous years, uh, two in digital, and last year I did it in ink on um, a large uh, two-by-three-foot uh, piece of um, hot press paper. I'm going to probably do it again this year. Uh, the prompts came out, so I'll provide a link to the Inktober website. So I'm still kind of working through uh, the prompts. I really like them this year. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I think I may do something digital, but I'd like to change it up a little bit. I may do it maybe as a consistent theme so that maybe all the prompts are using the same characters or the same story or the same environment. 
it's kind of similar to what I did last year, but I want them to be independent instead of all being part of a single piece. So that's what I'm uh, kind of mulling over right now. I'll have more of an update probably in the next podcast. I would, once again, with any of these prompts, don't think about, can I do all 30 or 31 of them? Just consider it as a bit of a challenge. Maybe you want to, for Inktober, you want to do 10 this year. And so choose 10 of the prompts. There's a lot of pressure, I think, on people to complete these monthly challenges. And I don't want you to feel that way. I want you to feel like it's an opportunity to have these prompts exposed to you that you wouldn't normally think about. And it, it just I think it just forces you to think outside of that kind of circle of influence that you normally are exposed to. So if you're normally doing botanicals, maybe this is an opportunity to branch out. Or if you're maybe normally working on portraits, then this is an opportunity to think outside of that. So I would encourage you to check um, both SciArt as well as Inktober and consider whether that can work into your creative journey as well. So that's it for updates. Uh, stay tuned for the interview. While my guest this week went to school in fashion illustration, her freelance career has provided many opportunities for her to branch out and try new things. Her wonderful style is unique and recognizable, and her use of color makes her creations jump off the page. Her portfolio is large and diverse, including her recently completed seventh cover for the New Yorker magazine. She has also worked closely with the Vital Voices organization in creating portraits of women leaders around the world. This eventually resulted in the creation of the book, Vital Voices, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower. She has also done a number of workshops and is looking to some destination art retreats around the world in 2022. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Gail Kabaker. Hi, Gail. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for uh, for coming on. I discovered you on Instagram fairly recently, and I was just blown away with your art. It's such a, a unique style. It's in some ways what I aspire to do. I always am inspired by people like you who are able to illustrate a scene. And I feel like I understand what happened five minutes before that and five minutes after the scene. So while I see it as a snapshot, I feel it's more of a living experience for me. And when I look at your pieces, I, I see that even when I, I looked at your latest piece, which was, and we'll talk about this, your covers with the New Yorker. Um, and you're sitting outside, and I could feel, you know, I could feel the breeze. I could feel that maybe you just sat down. And it's, I, I love those pieces. I love looking at a piece and feeling like uh, it, it's almost like a, a live photo on an iPhone, where there's <laughs> a couple, you know, a little time before and a little bit of time after. And I just love your style. I wish I could tell a story that way without getting stuck in all the detail I do. So I, I admire your work, and thank you so much for coming on. Wow, that's a really cool observation. No one has ever quite, thank you, and no one has ever quite observed it that way. And, uh, I, I, and I've never thought about it that way. So that's very cool to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so many pieces of your work. Um, and we'll get to those as well. But uh, I love your work. I love that you came on. So thank you so much. I think people are really going to learn a lot from this. We always start drawing and painting and playing around as a kid, but did this stick with you through school? Uh, was this something you wanted to be? Yes, for sure. I have been drawing ever since I can remember. And as a teenager, I was always, you know, in the, in the art classes. And, um, and then, you know, in high school, I only considered going to art school uh, so I always wanted to be an artist, and from very early on, I always wanted to be a fashion illustrator. 
that was my focus. So I went to the Academy of Art in San Francisco when I was 18 because they actually had a fashion illustration major. So, yeah, so I, I, it's what I've always wanted to do. I've never, never wavered. And I've always been a freelancer. I've kind of never had a real job. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's my story. Did you go into fashion illustration because there was an opportunity to make money versus fine art? Or were you genuinely interested in fashion illustration? Genuinely interested in fashion illustration. Fine art never occurred to me. I okay. always had the mind of a commercial illustrator. You know, first it was fashion and then it was general illustration. And I've only in the last few years, I would say in the last five to seven years, been kind of dipping my toe into the fine art world, um, you know, when people have been buying my work to put on their walls. So I was always very commercially driven and, you know, money and making a living was always a really big part of it because I had to make a living. And right. Um, yeah. You know, looking back on that experience and reflecting on where we are today, would you would you recommend someone else taking that path as well? I mean, schools have gotten really expensive, and and art has changed. Oh my God, that's a really yeah, that's a really hard question. I would not recommend anybody going into massive amount of debt now. I would not want an art student to come out of school with hundred thousand dollars of debt. That is a real albatross. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's different ways to do it. Um, I mean, my son went to Parsons and, you know, he came out and I, and he, you know, with a big, a big, um, a big loan and um, which is scary, but he also came out with a lot of connections that he wouldn't have made had he not gone to Parsons. So and he has a really good job now. So, you know, there's a lot of different reasons to go to art school that aren't just about drawing, learning how to draw and paint. You know, if I was to give advice to anybody who's starting going into it now, I would say to go to school to learn as much as possible. You know, drawing, painting, design, coding you know like 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 have a, a lot of skills because unless you got like you know family money <laughs> you know you have to be able to make a living and it's just so competitive right now there's so many good artists it's uh it's hard it is i mean it's so much opportunity but it's also a lot more competition oh, so much I, I can't believe how many every day i see new massive accounts on Instagram, like of really good artists, you know, that have huge followings. So it's a, yeah, it's a lot, a lot out yeah. there. I, I, and I struggle with that because I, <laughs> I look at some people's work and I'm thinking, never mind, I'll just stop here. <laughs> well, there's so much more to it though, you know, it's yes. like, it's, it's like who, who has the, you know, the energy, the chutzpah, the, you know, the, tenacity to get themselves a job or or submit their portfolio or whatever i i was pretty fearless and 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 sometimes it was actually i mean when i look back on the portfolio that i took around when i got out of art school i can't even believe i i did it because it was so it was pretty rough 
but I got work, you know, and that attitude got me work. So I think there's a lot to it. So did you ever struggle to get work or did you, were you always able to find it? Oh my God. Constant struggle up and down, up and down for years. Uh, Feast or famine. Always a struggle. Definitely the freelance life is not for everyone. There's a level of the unknown that, you know, some people just, they won't sleep at night, you know, and somehow I was able to, to manage it many years where it was very much of a struggle and trying to figure out like what I should be doing. You know, I had agents and, you know, we would have conversations about what should I should be showing that would be more marketable and you know, I'd create new pieces for my portfolio. And it's only until the last, I don't know, five years where I've, I've kind of sat back and went, okay, I'm, I'm always growing. And I feel like I'm always pushing my style. And I feel like I'm always trying to get better. But I'm not trying to second guess what will sell anymore. Right. That's kind of a relief. So how long ago do you think you've, you got to a point where you said to yourself, I've found my voice, I found my style, because um, it's very distinctive now. Did that, is that something you stumbled into? And then you said, Oh, I, I, I have a style. You know, I would say it's really in the last five years, maybe that I've gotten that I have felt really solid about it. I made a post yesterday. Instagram is my only form of, you know, marketing. I think carefully about my posts. You know, they're not just random. And yesterday I made a post about I used to always go to this music local music festival, this big festival. And I and I didn't go this year. It was this past weekend because I don't want to be around crowds. So I made a post about uh, you know, with some of, about, you know, what I used to do there and how I used to draw from the side of the stage or take photos because I always had press passes. So I had a lot of access. And some of the drawings that I posted were a style where I used to uh, paint, but then I would do in Photoshop, I would do a line drawing overlay over the paint. So which I don't do anymore. I don't like to do it. I don't want to have to do it because it, what it used to do is it used to be a way that I could get closer likenesses or get more detail or whatever. And now I, I really try to only do that with paint. And if I'm going to use line, I try to make it a painted line. So that's something that has kind of evolved over the last few years that I don't, I don't use that line overlay. Do you ever think about trying something new and then thinking, um, I don't know if that works with my style or am I going to lose followers? Oh, I don't ever worry about losing followers. I don't have that okay. many followers and I don't worry about losing. <laughs> um, so, and I don't even notice if I do. So I, I just not something I think about. Cool. Um, and in terms of trying something new, um, I sometimes think about trying new things and then I get, I get like, oh God, that's going to be so hard. You know, like I want to paint bigger. Like my paintings are are usually like eight by 10, you know, they're, they're not big. Mm-hmm. And I would like to have, I would like to paint bigger because I like the idea of being in galleries, with big paintings. Uh, but the reality of painting bigger 
it's just a lot of work. It's a lot more paint. It's a lot more, you know, space. So no, I just, I think that I just keep trying to find more time to paint. You know, I think that's one of my, one of my biggest challenges is that there's so many other aspects of my work and my business that Mm -hmm. always seem to need attention. And I'm trying to delegate more, you know, like I have a web person who does my website and instead of me putting up new work in my store, I'm now having her do it because, you know, it takes time and I don't actually need to be doing that. So uh, I'm trying to find more ways to give myself more longer hours of painting, combining like assignment work with painting for myself. Interesting. Now, if people follow you, they will probably know you because of um, two projects, which we'll talk about. I say projects, uh, Vital Voices and your work with The New Yorker. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you about The New Yorker because you've done seven. Mm, Um, (laughs) How, Mm -hmm. and maybe this is a silly question, but I think it's worth asking, how has that impacted your business and your work following, for, for example, the first one? Well, my first one was almost, I think, nine years ago. And and can can we talk about that? Just mention what it was as well, because I think that's important too. Yeah, it was it was called June Brides, and it was celebrating gay marriage, and it came about because you know I'd submitted over the years here and there. You know, it was always a like dream, and I'd submitted, and I'd never hear anything. And then I decided to submit some more stuff, and I was researching online. And I came across this thing called Blown Covers that was a book that Francoise Mouly, the art director, a coffee table book that she had recently put out that was a lot of covers that, uh, that you were never meant to see. So it was all the, all the, you know, like all this amazing art that never made it onto the cover. And what she did is she started a blog called Blown Covers to go along with it. And each week she posted a, um, a theme and artists submitted their work. And then at the end of the week, she picked a winner and a top 10 or nine. So she picked 10 pieces, nine, and then a winner. Mm-hmm. And I came, I stumbled across it and I saw an illustrator I knew, Anthony Russo had done something in it. And I, and I wrote him and I was like, what is this? This is like, this is wild. Is this legit? And uh, he's like, yeah, she's just doing it for fun. So I submitted something. And I think maybe the first time I submitted, I got into the top 10. And, you know, she comments on each one that's in the top 10. So it was like, wow, this is cool and fun. And it became kind of like this community. And it became this uh, kind of like a weekly, it was like a weekly art challenge that I kind of gave myself permission to spend time on. And then she, uh, gay marriage was the theme, and I submitted a few different paintings. And she wrote me uh, and said she wanted to hold this one out from Blown Covers to be considered for the New Yorker. And, you know, I freaked out. Like, I'm going to remember like, seeing her, her, her email and just like screaming to my, <laughs> running to my husband. He's also an artist. And then I had to wait. I, it was two months I had to wait it was a long time and uh, she would send me occasional emails saying you know it's pinned up 
outside David Remnick's door. Everybody loves it. You know, fingers crossed. And uh, anyway, and then the date came close and I hadn't heard anything. So I basically was like, I gave up. And I was so depressed. I was just like, it was really hard. And, and then I got a call from the New Yorker. I could see on my phone. It was like the New Yorker. And it was Francois Mouly's um, daughter who um, had, was working on the Blown Covers site with her. And I guess we're doing some work at the New Yorker with her. And she was calling to do my interview. They do an interview. I don't know if people know this, but each week, for each cover, there's an online interview on the New Yorker online. Oh. So she was calling to, uh, to, to ask me questions for this interview. And, and she said, you know, I just wanted to find out how you, how you felt when you heard the news. And I said, well, you're hearing it because no one told me. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so that was pretty wild. And, um, and then when, that, when it came out, it was, I've never experienced anything like it. It was like, it was a, it was something that mattered to a lot of people. So I got a lot of mail about it, you know, a lot of sites posted it, you know, I did some interviews, you know, like a national TV wanted to interview uh, me and Francoise. So I drove down to New York and then it got canceled at the last minute. It was like, there was kind of a lot of juice around it because it was so meaningful to people and it was a good story that it was like my first cover and that I came from blown covers and and I basically heard from everybody I'd ever known in my entire life you know like even like (laughs) uh you know my next door neighbor from second grade you know like I heard from everybody and it was it was so much fun and very exciting. And, and, and I actually had the thought like, Ooh, I'm in now. And, and I spent four years submitting after that and with n- no luck and often no response, which is normal. And so then when I got my second cover, that was a big surprise. That was the sledding, the downhill sledding cover, how it's impacted my career is interesting because it's like a it's a cred thing. I mean, I remember after one cover, I actually wrote another illustrator asking him about something that I'd seen on his on his Instagram or something, and he wrote me back and he said, "Wait, are you telling me that your phone's not like ringing off the hook? You just had a cover." Like he was like intimating like, "Wait, are you are you still looking for work?" <laughs> I was like, because so so it doesn't really work that way like you know you have a cover and then your phone rings off the hook and you get all kinds of work and you're busy forever it doesn't actually work that way or it didn't it didn't used to but the cred is something that you can't really uh measure and i think the that that definitely has made a difference in but it's but it's hard to me- it's it's hard to measure it and, you know, what I find now is um, after I have a cover, I sell a fair amount of prints, but I actually don't like see like, uh, a, a, you know, like a bunch of assignment work come in from it. That doesn't really happen. So it's interesting. It's not, it's like, you know, you, 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 it's not what you 
it's it's just you just never know you just never know yeah right i i think i think that'll help artists to understand that you know um it's an amazing as you say a bit of uh, you know it adds to your cred it's something you can put on your resume um it's significant it it will probably change your life in some way shape or form but it's not a windfall and no it 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 could be i mean i've known artists who sold their originals for a ton of money you know, there can be windfalls. Uh, I've known artists who have gotten really cool big things from them, but you just never know. It's not a guarantee. Let me put it right. that way. Right. It's not a guarantee. Can I just go back, and then we'll we'll talk about craft. I wanted to ask you, with the, with the June one, the first one you did for um, gay marriage, you said that a lot of people reached out to you. Do you remember a voice that you heard? And I say voice in the sense that an email or, or a letter or whatever the case that you received that you were surprised at or that that brought that brought more meaning to the work that you had done that you were surprised to hear do you remember a voice that you heard or read that you thought that's nice mm, not one particular but i did hear from parents of of gay women in particular that it just meant a lot to them mm-hmm. so i can't remember you know one particular voice but it was just an overall feeling of doing something that actually affected people, which mm-hmm. has kind of become like a bit of my, my goal is that, you know, I like, I, I want to do work that makes people feel good when they look at it or somehow affects them. I like it when I hear that because, um, you know, it makes me feel like I have a little bit of a bigger, purpose than just, you know, here I am painting in my studio for myself, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that your work is a, is a catalyst for conversation and, and possibly for change as well. And I um, admire you for, for doing what you're doing. And maybe that leads us right into Vital Voices, which is a fairly, um, well, reasonably recent project that you're connected to as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that was significant because you had you had to do a hundred portraits for that. Can you talk a little bit about that work and the challenges in putting that together and maybe just briefly what Vital Voices does? Uh, sure. Well, Vital Voices uh, is a nonprofit that supports women all over the world by connecting them with mentors, finding money for their, for their projects. I mean, it's, it's a pretty incredible organization. And Elise Nelson, the CEO, saw a piece that I did in the Washington Post around the second Women's March. And she contacted me about buying a print of it. And, and then we just started a conversation. And, and uh, she invited me to be part of an exhibition that they were doing called The Art of Disruption. And uh, over a few years, I just, um, you know, I just started working with them. And I did five portraits of the five women. They honor around five women every year at the Global Leadership Awards uh, at the Kennedy Center. It's a big annual fundraiser, you know, thousands of people. They raise a ton of money. Lots of, they have lots of, you know, Hillary Clinton started it with her, with Elise Nelson. And she's on their board. And, you know, so it's a big, it's a big star-studded event. Very exciting. And I did the five portraits 
of the winners a couple years ago. And after that, Elise had the idea for this book, or right before that, she'd had the idea for this book that celebrated a hundred women who were using their power to empower other women. Mm-hmm. And um, her first idea had been to use a hundred different artists. And then she realized, probably realized that was going to be an insane amount of work. And so she asked me. And the goal at the time she asked me was for it to be a book that came out on International Women's Day, which w- the following year, which was about, I can't remember, but eight or nine months away. It was less than a year. And I, and I said yes. And then I, the reality of getting 100 portraits done was not, it was almost like it wasn't a reality. It was just like I just jumped in and, and started painting. I've really not done very many portraits before then. And, you know, we were just cranking along, just trying to, to you know, stay on, on some kind of deadline. They were feeding me uh, names, you know, kind of 10 at a time. And um, they were choosing the names, um, you know, the women. And I was just painting like crazy. And I was taking other jobs at the same time. I mean, it was insane what I did. I I look back on that time (laughs) and I think of of that summer. And I just like, I I don't know how I did it. I, I really don't because I was doing other work too. And it was just. And it's funny because, you know, my husband is an artist and he builds stuff and he started building an outdoor shower that summer and my studio is right next to it. And I remember the first day that I heard banging as he was starting to build it and it was right outside my studio. And I went out and I was like, oh my God, you're starting the outdoor shower now? (laughs) Like, I'm going to hear this banging for for months. I mean, I want an outdoor shower. Like, that's awesome. I'm so excited about it. But I, and I didn't want to be a brat, you know, but I thought, okay. And looking back on it now, it's like, that's kind of how the whole eight months was. Like, I just, I just like whatever distractions came in, whatever, you know, like whatever issues or whatever, it was just like juggling a million balls in the air and, and just doing it. And it was, it was it was a lot. It was a lot. And 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 the way I mean it was great and and then on the other hand it was just like this amazing opportunity that's you know possibly a you know once in a career type of thing. I mean I hope not. I hope I have other amazing <laughs> projects like this but you know getting to know a hundred of these amazing women because you know I had to look at photos and research them and get into who they were in order to depict them. And, you know, I think I I never wanted to turn in a portrait I wasn't happy with, but I also was dealing with the reality of this, of this deadline. So that was a, a balance, you know, because as a, I mean, as a commercial illustrator, there's always a balance with a deadline of turning in a piece of art because you're on deadline Maybe you're not totally 100% in love with it, but you got you to gotta be finished, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I try not to do that too often because I want to always feel like 100%, like, I love this. Here it is. I'm done. Like, if you have anything to say about it, okay, but I'm, I love it, you know? 
And there were times where I would send a portrait to Elise and she would speak, she would say, oh my God, it's amazing. And then there'd be times where I would send and she's like, yeah, I haven't really got her. And then I'd go <laughs> back. And there were times where I was just like ready to pull my hair out because I, 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 I learned over this project that I have to look at many photos of someone because sometimes someone looks a certain way in a photo that actually isn't how they actually really look. And if I paint from that photo, someone who knows them will look at it and not recognize them. And that is, you know, what makes portraits really challenging, you know, and, um, you know, there were times where I would finish one, I you know, and I would send it and she would say that and I would say, okay, let's just revisit it at the end because I got to keep going. Like I can't, I can't get stuck on this one portrait for a week, you know? And, right. um, so yeah, it was an amazing experience. And then she said that the Kennedy Center, she said, oh, maybe we can have it as an exhibition in the Kennedy Center. And I thought, oh, right, that'll never happen. <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous. And, uh, and then it did end up happening. And what we did is we made prints, because uh, the paintings were all small, you know, like eight by 10. Or, um, and, and we made very large prints that were printed on, on super fine canvas. And then Framebridge uh, became a partner with the exhibition and they framed everything. And so we had three different sizes and, and we had this massive exhibition of a hundred portraits and it went up, you know, like a week before lockdown and it, it never basically opened. Uh, it was, oh, it was actually open to the public for a week, but the opening was canceled. The Vital Voices Global Leadership Awards was canceled. Like everything was canceled. Wow. So I was very lucky that it went up because, you know, it could have been way worse. It could have, it could have been a week later. And uh, anyway, so it's been up this whole time. And the book came out in September. We ended up not being able to meet the uh, International Women's Day deadline partly because of the pandemic, partly because, you know, we realized, I mean, I think we started like in May and I actually brought in a designer that I knew to design the book. And in September, we made the decision that we had to tell Elise that it wasn't realistic. Like we weren't going to be able to meet this deadline because she was also doing the interviews with all the women herself. So those were a hundred interviews. And so it wasn't just the portraits, you know, it was the interviews and then the design of the book and then the printing of the book. Cause you know, like it was, it was a massive project. And then what ended up happening is uh, Asseline who does gorgeous coffee table books came in as the publisher and, um, and then it came out last September and it's gotten, we've sold a lot of books and it's gotten lots of great reviews and, I'm really excited about it, it's, and I'm hoping more will happen with it because it's kind of timeless, and the more people that see it, the more I don't know. It, I, I'm hoping it has a, a nice long, a nice long life. Well, it seems like I mean this is an evergreen kind of topic, and it's it's timely. The art is obviously beautiful in it. Um, I will provide a uh, a link in the show notes for people who are interested in purchasing it. Um, so that if you're listening to this podcast, you check the show notes. I'll provide a link directly to that. 
Um, that's that's amazing. <laughs> what an amazing story. A hundred portraits. Well, you know, it's funny because I just got back last week. The the show basically has been closed this whole time. It's like been at this time capsule at the Kennedy Center in the Hall of Nations, which is just this grand hall. It's technically a state park. That's you know, but it's in the Kennedy Center, wow. and um, and they had a closing party for it that was the first event that Vital Voices had had since the pandemic, and it was an outdoor fundraising dinner and panel discussion, and then the 100 people who were there. Uh, could walk through the show. And so I got the opportunity to actually kind of have a opening, you know, but it was also Vital Voices is very, very involved with um, raising money for Afghanistan and getting uh, women help and getting them out. And that was um, very much a topic of the evenings. It was a great experience for me, but then it was also, you know, really hard to, to hear about all this you know, all this other work that they're doing. But it was really awesome to meet more of the women that I painted and and have some of them actually tell me why they like their portraits and, and how they they felt that I caught them in a way that oh it was very it was it was very gratifying to hear some of them talk about what they felt when they saw the portraits. And I have a great photo of one of the, there was a few teenagers in it. And this one teenager, she came with her family and she saw the, they saw the portrait for the first time. And I have this great picture of her looking at it. And it was like, she was, she was teary. It was like a big deal for her to be depicted with these 100 women, you know? And that was something that for the women who weren't famous to be in the company of, Hillary Clinton and RBG and, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of famous women in it, but then there's also women that, that you've never heard of before that are doing really important work. So that was cool. That was really, it was really fun, but it was weird to walk into the space after, you know, 16 months and, and it was empty and, you know, there was one guard there and the guards were telling me how, you know, they'd been there the whole time. And they sometimes talk to the paintings and like how they were really good company. But it was almost depressing to walk into it because, you know, it was just, it's life was, you know, curtailed and people just didn't get to see it. But I have, uh, I have confidence that it will, it will travel and there will be other ways that it gets um, shown because since they're prints, I can, I can send the files anywhere in the world and they could print them and frame them and hang them. So it makes it, you know, pretty doable to to have it in multiple places. And I I hope that that will happen. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it may be sad, but I think it's, it's good in the sense that it's put everything else that was intended for that space on a hold until Mm, your project could live its life. So I wanted to, talk a little bit about craft. We've talked about some of these big projects you've worked on. And I have a lot of artists, obviously, that listen to this podcast and are either early on in their career, some of them are are quite a bit later in their career, and people want to know how you do things, how do you create these. Can you talk a little bit about your process for the work that you do? And like, are you 
you know, things like what kind of paper do you use? I, I think that you work analog and then you eventually bring it into Photoshop at some point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. how, do, how do you work with, how do you, what tools do you use? What paper do you prefer? How does that process work for you? Well, um, as f- yeah, I paint, I, I sketch things out. Um, sometimes, well, sometimes I do a sketch on the computer. I, have, I use a Wacom tablet and a okay. pen. And sometimes I'll do a sketch in Photoshop that then I print out. I only have a black and white printer, um, which at first was because, you know, I was, didn't want to spend the money for a color printer. But then I realized it, it really works for me because when I print something out, I actually don't want to be influenced by the colors that I'm seeing in a photo or whatever. So this forces me to only look at things in value. And um, so I might sketch out a drawing and then I'll put it on the light table and I'll take my either, I have some different kinds of watercolor paper that I use. And then I, I did uh, uh, some work for crane paper and I got paper from them years ago. My husband drove by one of their sidewalk sales and brought home like, you know, a million pounds of paper that actually turned out to be really good paper and that I used for years. And then when I was started to run out, I actually contacted the creative director there. And over the last few years, I've become friends with him and he became like my paper, paper supplier. Um, But uh, I'm trying to branch out and use other papers. So I like a, a, a smooth surface. I don't like a rough surface. But it has to have a teeny bit of a tooth, not like hot, not like um, shiny smooth. Right. So I'll sketch it out, sometimes on the computer, put it on my light table, put my paper over it, and draw over it in a watercolor pencil. And then when I start to paint, uh, I use acrylic wash, and then I incorporate the watercolor pencil into the, the painting Sometimes I might erase some of the lines if I don't want to see them, but usually I just incorporate it. And then I, when I get as close to finished as I, it depends. If it's a, if it's just for me, if I'm just painting for fun, I finish the painting until I like it. If I'm on an assignment with a deadline and it's complicated, I'll stop at a certain point and I'll scan it into Photoshop and I might move things around and, or, you know, change colors or whatever. And sometimes I might just finish it in Photoshop. I'm really good in Photoshop, so no one could ever tell that it was digital. But I might finish it in Photoshop or I might redesign it a bit and then repaint a section of it and scan that in and then collage things together. You know, like I have a number of different ways that I work. But Photoshop is definitely a really important tool. And I'm not a purist. And so if I use Photoshop, that's fine. If I finish a painting and I don't need any Photoshop, I mean, honestly, when that happens, I, I, feel, I feel like a, a bigger sense of accomplishment than if I finish it in Photoshop. I mean, I have to admit. I do feel that, <laughs> you know, it's like this, the, my, my late, my latest New Yorker cover. I thought I had no Photoshop 
on that. But then when I looked at the file, I realized I'd added a few shadows in Photoshop. So I was like, ah, it's not, I can't say no Photoshop, but it was like barely any Photoshop. But my cover before uh, last summer was definitely, it was, that was a painting I did uh, that was completely like no Photoshop. So, you know, it, it, I, I can say I'm not a purist, but there is a part of me that's always super happy when I, when I manage to make a painting that I'm really happy with. That's awesome. It has no Photoshop. So. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you talked earlier about the skills people need, um, you know, being able to work with Photoshop and some of these digital tools is, um, is really helpful in creation and being able to take what you've done and manipulate it be able to send it off so others people other people can print it or consume it and being able to use those tools is really important so don't get uh, <laughs> ensure that when you're painting on a canvas that you're also working on these digital tools and all these other abilities as well right oh yeah i mean i am i am shocked when i see very accomplished illustrators i have a few friends who are like this they do all their work is digital and they're still using a mouse they're not using a wacom tablet and a pen and i'm like I don't understand how you can do this. To me, that would be like using a paintbrush, holding it between my toes and trying to paint. Like, I do not understand, but <laughs> they are so accomplished with what they do that, yeah, it, it's just funny. Usually they're, old, they're always older. They're always my age. Mm -hmm. But I've tried to convince a few of them, you know, oh my God, just try a Wacom tablet. And they don't want to. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Keep painting with your toes. Go ahead. I mean, but it doesn't look like they're painting with their toes. It looks basic. Right. But I just don't, I don't understand how they do it. But my husband was a very early um, Mac user. So our family has always been very, um, what do you call it? Computer and, you know. Tech savvy. Yeah, tech savvy. He probably had a Wacom tablet, you know, the first one that came out. So anyway, yeah. And and I wanted to ask you, you, you said you use acrylic gouache. Is there, for somebody who's playing with paint, is there a reason you went with acrylic gouache versus acrylic or gouache? Well, one of my illustrator friends, James Steinberg, used it. And I liked the colors that he got in his paint, in his paintings. So I just decided when I started to paint, I just decided to use what he used. And... <laughs> That was really, that was it. I don't really love watercolor. And I don't really like gouache because you can't paint over it. So acrylic gouache, and I've never really tried oils. I, I would like to, and I actually got some water-based oils a few years ago, but I just, I don't know, I was, I was, too, I was too lazy to, to really try experimenting with them. So that is something that I would, I would like to try. but. Acrylic gouache just really works for me. I love the colors. I love how it, you can paint over it. It dries fast. Yeah. Do you have a set palette, um, you know, series of colors that you stick with most, most always? Um, I tend, I'm kind of all over the place. Lately, I've been in a bit more subdued, earthy palettes. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not. But then again, sometimes I'll be like, oh, today I feel like painting in pink. And light blue, you know, like I, I try sometimes I'm always on the lookout for color palettes that I like and I always save them. You know, like I have an Instagram folder 
you know, like art that I like. And I try to always, when I see a painting that I like, that I like the color palette, I save it. And then I use it for inspiration. I'll be like, ooh, I want to paint in that palette today. And uh, it's fairly random, my my color choices. Hmm. Um, but it tends to be more earthy and not like, you know, super bright or pastel or any of those. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to uh, delve into these workshops that you do, uh, that you're planning on doing. And I wanted to, I, I mean... I went out east, um, eastern Canada for a week with a family vacation. We went and rented a beach house and that. And for me, it was kind of like, I didn't really say it to my family, but for me, it, it was a retreat. <laughs> for, mm-hmm. Great. Um, but you do these retreats around the world and you've got some coming up. And can you talk a bit about Gail as the teacher and your experience in doing that and what people can can gain from you and in, in your knowledge like what do you like to cover what do you see see as deficiencies that students need to kind of build on maybe if you can talk about being the teacher well my experience as a teacher has been interesting because gosh i'm trying to remember when i started maybe it was like 10 years ago i started teaching for the academy of art when i went to school i started teaching fashion illustration in their online degree program and I did that for a few years. It was all online. And um, I didn't love it. It was, it was hard. It was hard work. And my class was a required class. So anybody getting a degree in anything to do with fashion, whether it was fashion merchandising, fashion design, fashion photography, they had to take my class. So I had a lot of people who had never drawn before. And I would start out with, I don't know, 20, 25 students. And I would usually end up with 10 by the end of the semester. And that was normal attrition because it was really hard. You know, taking an online class is hard. You've got to be really mm-hmm. committed to, you know, and all the work was uploaded and I, you know, I commented on things. And it, but I really learned a lot and it was really good for me as an artist. And I think I started drawing better as a result of teaching those classes. And it was very rewarding to see that people can actually learn how to draw. Like I had people who, honest to God, when they started, their drawings looked like a five-year-old drew it with their left hand. And by the end, it looked like a decent drawing, you know, like nothing great. They're not going to like go out and make a living doing it, but like they learned how to draw and they were so happy that they could see this progress. Uh, and that was very gratifying, but it was usually only a few students each class. So a lot of it was, you know, felt like I was like, you know, babysitting people and just trying to be encouraging. And anyway, so I was pretty relieved to stop doing that. And and then I hadn't taught, I've, you know, I've taught classes in person here and there. But then a couple of years ago, I spent three weeks. I love to go away in the winter and go someplace tropical to paint because I'm very inspired when I'm at the ocean and I'm nice and warm and, you know, like that just, that kind of environment just really feeds my soul. And I, and I, I'm so happy that I, I just, I, I tend to, it just tends to be a really good painting situation for me. 
And so I worked it out to go to Bali for three weeks and paint by myself. And that was just like, oh my God, dream come true every day to wake up and, you know, like, oh, what am I going to paint today? I've done that a number of times. I, I, you know, over the last, I don't know, five to seven years, but in Bali, on the way home, I was um, I was flying through Hong Kong, and I, I grew up in Hong Kong as a kid, and I had written the school uh, when I planned my trip. I wrote the school, and I said, you know, I'm an alum. If you, I'm flying through Hong Kong. If you'd be interested in having me teach, write me. And they did, and and so, you know, they 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 put me up in a hotel, and I taught at the school for three days, kindergarten through twelfth grade eight hours a day. It was intense. It was like one class after another. And I basically taught how to use a sketchbook. And I taught two exercises, all with paint. And I taught them how to paint flowers, like a regular flower and a droopy flower. And then I taught them this great exercise. Uh, Jennifer Orkin Lewis is a, is a good friend of mine. And she's got a, a um, that's um she's august wren and she has a great book called uh, 100 days of drawing she has all these wonderful exercises in it and one of them is called dot faces and i taught the kids how to do this too so i had two specific exercises that i taught and oh i learned so much you know it's like it was such a great experience and and then uh uh jennifer and i well, I got asked about two years ago, I got asked to teach uh, a workshop in Morocco. And I asked Jennifer if she would like to come as my special guest, because I really didn't have much experience teaching uh, workshops, you know, and I was nervous to try to do it by myself. Anyway, so this kind of started this whole thing with me and Jennifer. And then another company contacted us about teaching together next spring. And so we have two workshops, France and Spain set up. And we've postponed Morocco for the third time, was supposed to be in a few weeks, we don't want to travel. So um, but Jennifer and I taught I had the idea to we, we, we met in June, to spend a few days painting together on Martha's Vineyard. And, you know, we we'd never done that before. And we had a blast and it inspired me. And, and we taught two days of workshops here at, at, at my place uh, in July. And boy, I love teaching with, uh, with Jennifer. We're a really good team. And we have very different ways of approaching things. So people really learned, they just learned a lot of different ways of doing things. And um, it was really, it was fun. You're you're doing these workshops. You've got a few coming up. So, are there, are there any this year? Like, are you or is it? No, we 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 postponed Morocco, which was supposed to be in a few weeks. Okay. For another year, and uh, so the the next ones are 2022 in May, and we're just hoping that it feels safe to travel them. But I think Jennifer and I are going to teach a few online Zoom classes coming up. I'm hoping we we can do that because people have been asking for that. And I just feel like, you know, I love watching people paint, you know, like I right. love watching classes online, especially, you know, people I admire, I love seeing how they, how they do it. And uh, I think that 
it's just inspiring, you know? And um, so I like, I like teaching. It's fun. And it's, um, you know, I, I hope to, to do more of it. I would be all over <laughs> taking a course with you and uh, August Wren. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I would absolutely be all over that. So I hope you do it. That would be yeah, so much Yeah, me fun. too. Well, we're just starting to talk about it. So okay. hopefully it'll happen. So what do you, like, in having taught a little bit, um, what do you think your students have taught you about being an artist? Because, you know, we have to break down, we have to pull apart what we do in order to explain it. So I'm, I'm curious what what impact they've had on you. Uh, a good question. I think that explaining how I see things and why... I'm choosing to paint what I'm painting is really helped me to see things differently. You know, one of the things that I teach is how to paint from a photograph or how to paint what you're seeing and choose what you want to paint. You know, I'm not a realistic painter, so if I'm painting from a photo, if I'm painting from a scene, I'm not trying to replicate it. I'm trying to be inspired by it. Mm-hmm. And explaining that process helps me understand it more, um, which is cool because it's something that I kind of do, I do on autopilot, you know? I don't think about it that much. It's just, um, it's intuitive. But explaining it or showing it you know, like I, what I love walking around in a class and taking a paintbrush out of someone's hand and saying, hey, try this, you know. And it was funny because Jennifer never does that. And I got used to doing it when I taught in Hong Kong because I took paintbrushes out of kids' hands all the time because I was like, stop mashing your brush. Hold it like this, you know, hold it lightly. <laughs> and um, so I got used to that. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I, I hope I asked the kids if it was okay. I didn't just grab it out of their hand. But mm. what I, what I did in, in the workshops here is I asked, is it okay if I show you? And I don't think anybody said no. I mean, I think maybe one person maybe said, could I do it? Could you tell me how to do it? Like, sh- and, and I said, sure. But mostly they were like, sure. Yeah. Show me, you know? And so then actually painting on someone else's painting uh, and showing them how I would handle what they're doing was really fun and, um, and just gave me more yeah, clarity on what I was trying to show them as a way of a different way of seeing things. Like if I'm painting, I have this, this, this sketchbook project of painting my granddaughter in the past nine months. And I've never done anything like this before. I've never had a constant theme in a sketchbook. And I have a rule for myself that I have to love the photo that I'm painting from, and it has to be fun. And so if I start a painting and I'm not having fun, I stop and I kind of figure out like, okay, what do I need to do to make this fun? Because right now it's starting to feel like work. And that's not what this is about. This needs to be fun. Right. So I think that's a really good thing to tell people who are, you know, trying to grow is it has to be fun and you have to love what you're doing. And 
Yeah, and that that that's a good kind of segue into these into people who come to art late in life, later in life, instead of like lifers like me who went to art school and it was always what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. I think it's great, you know, for for adults to dis- to to have this whole new life. What I have a hard time with is when I can see that people are becoming painters and they're like want to sell their work they want to show their work but they've skipped a lot of the steps like i can tell they can't draw you know what i mean and i'm like wait a minute you know there's like a process here like you kind of got to learn how to draw you got to be able to learn how to see things the way they are before you can abstract them and I feel like it's it's um there's a way and with it feels like now with so much access and social media and all this stuff like everybody's in a hurry to become like great you know mm-hmm. and I feel like skipping the process of the nitty gritty of learning how to do your craft I don't know I have a problem with that that's hard for me I mean hey good for you you know what if you can figure out how to be successful I should just celebrate like yeah but. Yeah, I, I find it a little mixed. It is hard because, uh, you know, we're in a situation where the internet teaches us, right? Whether it's through YouTube or Skillshare or mm-hmm. whatever other platform. But we have to be mindful that the internet's also there to critique us, whether we want mm-hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. And we're not um, in a protected environment as a school where, you know, we're being taught in this establishment and we're being critiqued in an establishment before we're released to the public. And um, Mm -hmm. I think I agree that I I think people need to look for areas of improvement for opportunities more than I, I see some people don't look hard enough for that, that they assume because you've put paint to paper, pencil to paper, whatever the case that you are, that you are good. And I think the, the, the superpower that a modern-day artist who's not gone to school is humility. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would like to see more people doing that. It is hard when you're trying to push your work and say, I'm an artist, this is a great piece, you should pay me for it. Um, and then have a separate conversation with another artist to say, I don't think I'm good at this thing yet. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you help me with it? And yeah. that's really, really hard. Um, and I, I don't have an easy answer for that, but I think just talking about it may help a few people to understand. And I think that's to your point as well, where, you know, it's you, you can't, being a good artist is not about skipping steps. Exactly. It's about doing the work. Yeah. It's like Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, 10,000 hours philosophy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of like, yeah, you don't really get to skip that part. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a loaded subject. And, you know, I started writing about six or seven years ago, and I felt like I was a terrible writer. My grammar, I you know, I, I did really poorly in school. And my, I, you know, like my grammar is terrible. And then... I submitted something um, to Medium and I got, you know, an editor wrote me back because they're illustrated stories. And she wrote me back and she was so excited about my story and she liked my voice and my writing so much 
And it was such a gift because she really made me realize that I actually can write and that it, there, this was potential for me. And, and, you know, since then I've actually, you know, had a bunch of illustrated stories published and, you know, I really credit her uh, a lot with like giving me permission to call myself a writer. But I, you know, I had a, I had a column in the Washington post last year, uh, eight columns called uh, sketching my way through crisis. And they committed to eight columns and I, I worked with a, you know, the, the editor there. And it was my first experience of doing that. And coming off the art for the, for the columns was, was the easy part. The writing was just like, was really hard. And it was, it was my first experience of, you know, being seriously edited, you know, and I'd get a first draft back and, you know, she'd have taken out like everything that I thought was important, you know, or, or whatever. And, and it, it took me a while to realize, okay, I just got to trust her. She's good at what she does. And sometimes this is painful, but I just need, I, I felt like I was in a class, a master class for one, you know, and I was so lucky to have that experience, but it was really hard. It was really hard work. And I, they were supposed to be every two weeks. And by the end, I was asking for three weeks because <laughs> it was so time-consuming for me, the writing and the thinking of the different topics. And I'm really proud of it because, you know, the whole point of it was to show how keeping a sketchbook is, can be really therapeutic and not just for artists, like for anyone. And a, keeping a sketchbook doesn't need to be about making great art it can be about you know doodling your thoughts or or whatever and mm -hmm. uh that was that was a, a very cool process to to learn but i have a a ton of like you know what what's the word um not anxiety but you know anytime i write something like i i i i, I kind of know when i've written something that that's decent um, but not in the same way when I finish a painting and I feel like, oh, okay, I like that. You know, with writing, because I'm newer at it, it, it's always a little more like I need feedback to know whether I've done a good job or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the self-critic isn't there yet. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. Now, just on that point, so you've done, I mean, you've done so much and you've also done the writing. Are the, is there any other kind of unrealized dream of yours that you haven't? Um, got to yet you know it's funny because I was thinking about that recently I, I went into the post office to get stamps and I was picking out the stamps and I always I always pick out my stamps I don't ever just take what they hand me I'm like oh what can I choose you know and then I was like I really want to do a postage stamp like I want to have a postage stamp like that's on my bucket list <laughs> I've always wanted to do some kind of like animated opening title sequence for movies or tv like that's always been on my bucket list and that's something that's kind of that's still there so That'd whenever cool. i see really cool titles for a movie or a tv show i'm like oh yeah i really want to do that so those things are still on my list um i i mean i look forward to just traveling again and being able to go away on retreat you know to paint it's hard to imagine when that's going to feel 
you know, safe again. I, I miss that. Do you have a thought as to when you're going to have your next artist retreat, even if it's just yourself? Do you have a thought about that? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I am. I, I've got a couple things coming up at the end of the month where I, I'm getting to go to the beach to nice. paint for a week or two. And, uh, yeah, I'm very lucky. I have some friends and fans of my work who like to exchange their great houses for my work. So I get to go and paint and yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I have, I did that last October on Martha's vineyard when it was really cold and rainy and even just getting away, you know, just getting away and giving yourself permission to just paint what you want every day and not doing anything else is, is just an amazing gift. It's amazing. Now, before, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, we'll get into homework in a second. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the best advice you've ever received as an artist? Um, I had a teacher in art school named Bill Sanchez, who was one of my favorite teachers. And I remember asking him, he taught life drawing. And I remember asking him, how long do you think it takes to make it? <laughs> and and I, he said, well, the concept of making it is constantly changing. You know? so. I think that that was, I just have never forgotten that, that he said that. And I think that, that, that that's so true. And, and to just really enjoy and, and celebrate, you know, like each kind of milestone and success and, and, and not, you know, not always be looking to the future, um, but to enjoy, you know, where where I am. But you know what? I, I have I have some advice because I, I learned something in this last year and a half from I, I'm in a I'm in a little art group with um Samantha Dion Baker and August Wren and Erica Lee Sears. And I have never been in a group like this before. I have never had art friends like this before who are kind of all speak the same language and are kind of all on the same page in our careers. They're different. Our careers are all different, mm -hmm. but I have never been so inspired by talking with other artists. And we talk every week on zoom and uh, you know, we usually paint or draw while we're talking and, you know, we help each other, we inspire each other. And um, God, I just, uh, you know, we can be so isolated as artists. And I found in the last, you know, since the pandemic, like just reaching out and befriending other artists that I admire has just been such a gift, such a gift. And I've learned so much. And I think I'm way less uh, protective of things now. I, you know, I try to have the attitude that there's plenty for everyone. Um, so, you know, sharing resources, the, the Art Brand Alliance has been really good for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so it's like, you know, connecting and sharing and being open, you know, with other artists is, is really, oh, and, and, and live drawing on Zoom. Like, that totally changed my life this year. I've never done that before. And, oh, I just love that, that camaraderie of, painting or drawing with artists all over the world at the same time from a model that was just so inspiring so it's like ways of of connecting with other artists i think is is really important to me it's to me i mean not i'm sure that's not for everybody but for me it's been a really 
um, it's helped me grow a lot as an artist. Yeah, I th- that's a really good point. I mean, community is really helpful, especially when you have a you can get a small one together. And mm-hmm. I would echo that. You know, a lot of artists are quite accessible on places like Instagram, and uh, you know, it's amazing. It's you know, saying hi to people. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and just being brave. You know, just being brave. I mean, sometimes yeah. they won't write back. Sometimes they do. I mean, I, it's, it's a little sad when they don't write back, but whatever. Right. They're busy. They got a million followers. They probably don't see their DMs. You know, who knows? That's exactly but, it. <laughs> but uh, some of us do, and and that's why we're here speaking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's because you yeah. saw mine. Yeah. So I I um before we end, I I wanted to ask you about homework. Um, it's always good for the listener to have something to action. So I'm wondering, Gail, what you have as a matter of homework for the listener in either their creative game or their creative thought process. Yeah, I would, I would start a sketchbook, you know, like if people listening don't keep a sketchbook, I would start one. And, um, I like the Strathmore mixed media soft cover. I get them on Amazon or get them any, you know, through any of the art supply stores. Um, and just start using it and don't show it to anybody and don't worry about it being a good painting or a drawing and just like a place for fun and experimentation and and to try to use it regularly because that is a big key to you know improving on anything is is doing it often and uh you know, that's one of the things in this art group that I'm in is all, is Jennifer, Sam, and Erica have all been doing uh, art daily for a really long time and, um, you know, making paintings daily. And I've just never been good at that kind of thing of, you know, like setting a, um, a daily practice. I, I have too many different things I do in my day, but I'm trying, I'm trying to, to, use my sketchbook. I do have a journal that I, that I write in every morning and that's, I've been able to be pretty consistent with that. It's like a journal slash sketchbook. Okay. That's a good idea. Uh, now, do you have any suggestions for getting past page one? Cause it feels sometimes when you open to that first blank oh, page. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. I would say, you know, I think what Jennifer does on page one is she writes her name and her address and makes it kind of like a fun painting and that's page one that's a real that's a good idea that is a good idea so then you're like like, okay moving on yes but i find the first page of my sketchbooks are usually like not like if i go back to them like oh that's not that's not a very good drawing (laughs) so it's like just get past page one and the more you do it the more creative you'll get with it and look at other people's sketchbooks. I mean, look at Samantha, Sam's sketchbooks. You know, they're so inspiring. And, and Jennifer, like her sketchbooks are inspiring. And I just love seeing what other, what other artists do with their sketchbooks. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that always inspires me. Yeah, I would agree. I got Samantha's book and um, it took me in a different direction as well. And it's just oh, wonderful good. to have that influence. So. So I wanted to ask you, where can people find you? We talked about Instagram, so I'm going to link to your Instagram account. And so where else can people find you online? Um, you know, I have my website, and that's where to find me. It's, I find it so interesting now that uh, so many artists, it's Instagram. 
That's that's mm-hmm. their feed. That's their blog. That's where they live. And I have to say that, I mean, you'll spend hours looking through Gail's feed because it's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you see the imagery and you want to see the story behind it. And you put so much effort into telling those stories. And I appreciate your time in doing that, inspiring so many of us. Thank you. Thank you. So that's awesome. Thank you so much, Gail, for, for coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts and sharing your journey and being able to uh, to motivate us to kind of create the idea of, of starting a sketchbook, I think is wonderful. I think we do need to do more without thinking about having a social audience, a public audience for what we do, and we need to do more on our own. And that um, it, there's no magic with this. It's just do the work if you want to be a good artist. <laughs> yep. Um, so thank you so much once again for spending your time on the podcast and sharing all of this. I appreciate it and uh, wishing you all the success in the world. I hope to see a stamp with your work on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I hope to see yeah. an opening sequence uh, to a movie as well. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was really fun talking to you. This is awesome. Thank you, Gail. Have a good day. Show notes, including links to everything Gail and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 61. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. (laughs) 